everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews. We are really excited today. We are putting on our indie uh, <laughs> indie animation cap today for our episode of Obscure Animation this month. And we're going to be talking about World of Tomorrow 1, 2, and 3. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner. Stanford is here. Hi. Yes. And we have a very special guest. Yes. Uh, yes. With us today, we have Leslie Means is here. She is the education admin manager for Utah Film Center. And uh, we we haven't been able to see each other as much as we used to, but uh, we used to see each other a lot of the screenings and, and the, uh, the uh, events that Utah Film Center would put on. And Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. So since this is your first time, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience uh, and uh, your experience with the world of tomorrow films? Uh, so I have worked at Utah Film Center in one capacity or another for about 10 years. Um, I started as a volunteer in, with a, the beginnings of the Tumbleweeds Kids Film Festival, I was on the advisory board and then I got hired to do a contract job and then I got hired part-time and um, the rest is history. And uh, people say, when people say, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like when you were a kid yeah. and my, my real honest answer is I wanted to be a teacher, but like teach kids about movies but you think that's not a job that exists. <laughs> but thanks to Utah Film Center, it does. And I get to do it. So it's yeah. amazing. And we are so fortunate to have Utah Film Center oh, here in Utah. Yes. Uh, it's something I think people maybe take a little bit for granted. But to have, a, not only do you provide so many screenings and educational opportunities, but you also fiscally support so many different films and productions, which I think is awesome. Right. Yeah. So if, if independent films are taking in donations, sometimes the donors like the donations to be um, tax deductible, but it's a long process for a, a film to get nonprofit status mm -hmm. that would make your donation tax deductible. So they use our nonprofit status and, the money comes through us and we help support them and, you know, promote them when their film gets into Sundance and all that stuff. So. Right. And and you work with uh, Sundance, right. For the family section. Uh, yeah. Right, this year, the kids section is not happening just because of the way Sundance is. How they're going to do the festival this year. Yeah. Yeah. But in the past, yes, we have programmed the kids section. Mm -hmm. That's been very yeah. Fun. So did you always have you, you grew up then having a real interest in film? Then. Yeah, definitely. I, um, I was always the one bossing my siblings around directing them and <laughs> always the one that, you know, before IMDB, people would call me. Exactly. You're the in person. IMDB. Right. IMDB put me out of business. <laughs> you can just redirect them, right? You can still talk with them, but yeah. then you can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so the reason why uh, that we we had talked on Twitter about World of Tomorrow, and you pointed out that the 
Emily Prime was your avatar, which I had noticed on Twitter and your yeah. profile picture. And uh, so is this a series that, that you have really been a fan of? Yeah. So the first one came out in 2015. I did not see it at Sundance. I don't remember when I saw it, but it was sometime that year. And in June of that year, my mom died of ovarian cancer. So she had been sick and dying and we knew it was coming up. Right. And I can't remember when exactly I saw World of Tomorrow, if it was before she died or soon after or something, but, um, just the idea of memories being so important um, really struck me. And then in that moment when the Emily clone takes the memory that she's come for and Emily prime says, this is me and mommy walking and just thinking that it was a memory of her and her mommy that, that the clone wanted to come back for it. Just, I don't know. It instantly became a part of my oh, yeah. heart at that point. So, mm-hmm. uh, what about you, Stanford? What was your experience with these shorts, the World of Tomorrow shorts? Well, um, as you know, as Leslie mentioned, uh, uh, the first one uh, played at Sundance, and I, I think that's where I saw it. Was it was it the 2015 Sundance Film Festival? And. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, speaking of memories, you know, sometimes I can't remember even what I had for lunch, um, but I, uh, <laughs> any given day, but I, I really racking my, my memory over this. I really think that's where I saw it. And um, I had not seen the second or third one until Rachel told, you know, Rachel filled, filled me in about this. And so I was so happy to see, see the continuation and just what an interesting thing. And you know, I'm so excited to talk with you about it. But that I, I, if I remember incorrectly, I think that's where I saw it. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So when I first saw it, I'm not going to lie. I, I was a little bit underwhelmed by it because I just, I, there was a side of me that was just like, what is he trying to say? What's going on here? I didn't really get it, but I have to say that the three of them together, I think it makes it way better. <laughs> that- oh, I agree. Yeah. You get the whole story and you're just so like immersed in the kind of the world of it all that you can't do in 17 minutes, but now it's, it's basically a feature at this point and it makes so much more sense to me. And I don't know. I just, there was a side of me that was thinking when it first came out and it was just the 17 minutes that it was like, are people just pretending that this is brilliant? Because I don't get it. And I feel stupid that I don't get it. <laughs> I feel dumb, but uh, but it's it was definitely something that I didn't I didn't ignore because I could tell there was something there, but I just wasn't getting it. <laughs> and uh, so it's 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 taken me a while, but now I really love it as part of this part of the three. I I, I think I really love it. I I think the third one is probably my favorite, and maybe it's just being so much longer than the the others that it has sort of more to chew on a little bit than the others for me but yeah it's interesting because i feel like that first one made such a splash the second one a little bit of a splash and this third one i just felt like nobody's talking about it and i don't know why and if it's just too much for 2020 or what is going on but that's why i wanted to go ahead and and talk about it on this podcast because i was thinking people should be talking about this this is one of my favorite uh, it's easily my top 20 
films of 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 2020. I think. Yeah, uh, I mean the first one, not just because of the the tie I had to the yeah. the mommy moment, but I was instantly like, "This is one of my favorite movies ever." I made everyone in my office sit down and watch it, which you know you might think happens a lot at Utah Film Center, but it doesn't because we're scheduling <laughs> movies and promoting yeah. them and things like that. But, uh, yeah. You probably want to save those moments for when you really like because <laughs> there's so many. Well, uh, you know, I, I love so much seeing seeing it at Sundance. And again, if if my memory is serving me right, this is where I need like a Stanford Prime. You know, it's like please help me. Um, but <laughs> what uh, it seemed to me that I saw it in in one of those uh, compilations. You know, where they yeah. show they show a number of of, of shorts. Would that would that be could that be right, Leslie? Do you think? I mean, yeah, I'm guessing that's what um, it was. And, an animated shorts program. And I was, I remember being really wowed by it, but then also, I mean, and I, I just felt like he was just also incredibly experimental, as are many of the shorts that get shown at Sundance, right? I mean, I think that's just part of the, part of how how yeah. the, the programming goes, and maybe you could enlighten us too on some of that as well. Leslie, because that's what I was wondering. Did you get to see? Did you get to be part of the selection process for this? For this, Leslie, or how, how did that? How did that work? No, twenty fifteen. No, I had no connection to it. Even even the kids section that we have programmed in the past, I don't really have anything to do uh, with. So. Yeah, well, I have to say, I think I also appreciate World of Tomorrow a lot more after seeing the scores and scores of of wannabes that come through Sundance that I just felt like after 2015 the animation spotlight was chock full of Don Hertzfeld wannabes and it was it was always so clear yeah how like okay he's way better than all these people Mm -hmm. and uh, I, I I felt like an obligation, like I had to go to the animation spotlight, but it was yes. almost always not for me. And <laughs> I just, just the most sort of pretentious and kind of convoluted and just uh, not pleasant to watch at all. And I, I don't know, what do you think? I guess we should just dive in. So this first one, we have Emily Cologne coming back to Emily Prime. And uh, looking for these memories. And what do you think, Leslie, that overall Don Hersfeld is trying to say in this short? In this first one. One thing that I think is so great about it is that, and I've I've read Hersfeld says this too, is that you can take what you want from it in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. There's, it's so... Um, susceptible to whatever you are feeling you can take something from it whether it's you think it's hilarious or you think it's sad or you think it's terrifying um i yeah for me what he is saying is what does it actually mean to be a person is it your physical body is it your memories in your brain is it does it matter? <laughs> you know, I, I the clones have their own body in a way, but they have these memories that are theirs, but not theirs. So who are they actually? Um, 
for me, that's what he was trying to mm-hmm. say. Yeah, I found an interview with him and he said, uh, they asked him, do you usually start with a plot idea, thematic idea, one uniform philosophical notion? And he says, I don't think I ever write in a straight line. I'll jot down a hundred stray ideas over time. And one day I'll sit down and see what connections might be made out of them. I really want this scene to be in the movie. So how do I get it there? This is a good line. How can I get the character to say it? So this actual story usually only starts to reveal itself when I sit down to uh, sit down to logic, all these bits and pieces out. Uh, So I, I think that there's probably, I think he would probably agree with that, that, that that's it's a kind of an evolution even in his own writing yeah that there wasn't some particular point he was trying to make that it's more a question more here's a cool sci-fi movie (laughs) that i came up with and it has lots of questions in it that you might relate to or not Mm -hmm. yeah what do you think stanford you know well my first impression uh, uh, of this film, and also just re- getting to rewatch this first, watch you know number one again too. Um, I just, I just instantly um, adore the the child, you know, the little the um, who I guess is not voiced by his niece. Yeah. Right, and I remember thinking this too, the you know watching this the the, the first time that. It's like how fun he, that he's made this this very thought provoking sci fi piece just by some little random comments that his cute niece is making. <laughs> is making. I was so impressed that he was able to put together some kind of a narrative with with these just adorable comments made by a child. And uh, uh, so, I guess I was thinking of a less as something you know very intentional which i think it would actually you know was but just an, an interesting way to integrate some 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 cool audio that he had you know that he had captured that was my you know my initial take and now that i've learned you know learned more about it i think that's that's clearly expanded but yeah so emily clone she tells us a, a couple of stories she first she tells us about uh visiting david at the museum and that he is a child without a brain. And uh, and then later on, she'll say that she talks about having a relationship with the David clone. And she says, you only appreciate the present with it when it is the past. Uh, so, yeah, she talks about sort of this relationship with David. And, of course, then that ends up becoming a bigger part in episode three uh, with David as a clone and she says i am very proud of my sadness because it means i am more alive what do you think about that leslie well not to continually (laughs) uh tie this movie to a certain part of my life because i still you know think it completely holds up on its own and it isn't just something i like because of when it came out but my mom always used to say when you feel pain, you know, you're alive. So her saying that just sort of touched me like, oh, yeah. wow, that's so true. I can be proud of my pain because I'm feeling something. Um, mm-hmm. So 
much more of a connection, but, but overall it speaks to the whole idea of what makes you human, Mm -hmm. you know, and she feels pain. So that's a feeling like she at first was in love with a rock and then she was in love with this weird monster and she kind of is having trouble with emotions. What are emotions? How does this work? Is this appropriate? What am I supposed to be thinking? And so the idea that she feels pain feels much more human. Like, oh, okay, maybe I am real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's the robots and the robots are in perpetual motion. They, They don't feel the pain in that same way. And yeah, and then she falls in love with the rock. Which, again, the first time I, I was like, what? What is going on? <laughs> I'm so confused. But then she says, I no longer fall in love with rocks. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting, too. It's one of those parts that, to me, is funny and also horrifying. Yes. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, my gosh, she fell in love with the rock. And you laugh, and then you think, oh, wow, that's really sad, though. Yeah. Because so exactly, she's a clone. Yeah. That's how the so, whole movie is for me. Well, all three of them, really. You kind of flip back and forth between laughing and then being horrified. Mm-hmm. We also find out that there's going to be a meteor that's going to come in 60 days. And the uh, that the upper class are uploading their consciousness in cubes. And, uh, and so there's this attempt to kind of save... Uh, save the the upper class. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what he means by conscious. Quite what he, what he means by consciousness, but I guess your your soul or your brain or your intellect or well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably all of that. All the above, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he says. Uh, then he talks about the stars. The stars are dead bodies of the poor. Uh, exploding and I mean, there's not a ton i don't feel like of social political commentary in this but here's like a little bit where it's very matter of fact that the uh the that the poor become the stars and look how and then you have emily prime who thinks the the stars are beautiful and yet they have this darkness to them mm-hmm. so, i don't know what do you think about that stanford well, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I wasn't sure how much to read into it as far as was this social commentary? You know, uh, is it kind of like his version of, 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 of 1984 or so, you know, or something? Uh, you know, uh, of course, and also very science fiction like too. But um, honestly, I just, I, I frankly wasn't sure how to interpret it. Uh, Mm-hmm. Other than just like, well, this is really interesting in a way. I kind of it doesn't it didn't necessarily blow my mind, but but I just thought, what an inter- you know what an interesting concept. And then and then it went on to the the next interesting concept, you know, as 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 the seventeen minutes unfold. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there was the thing when I first when it first came out, there were so many people that had those incredible responses like you did, Leslie, and I was watching and thinking, what is this? was this trying to say and there was a side of me that felt kind of stupid like why is everybody else having these great responses 
and I just don't get it. Like, what am I missing? Uh, but I think it just took me, uh, took me seeing the whole story. I don't know why to really kind of get it and get this. I mean, I felt like I got it more in the second one when I had that, but now that I've seen the third, I feel like I get it. And I don't know if I just needed all the pieces and that's just the way my brain works. But I mean, I'm not the most experimental person, I guess, in the world. But, uh, but uh, it's, it's been an interesting kind of journey with me with this. Uh, he, he says that, uh, that she says, do not lose time on daily trivialities. Do not dwell on petty details. Now is the envy of all of the dead. And so I think that's probably the most profound thought of the the whole short. At least the thing that struck me the most on this watch is how easy it is to kind of dwell on things that don't really matter. And I, and I think we've all felt a little bit of that this year, that as things have been taken away, right? A lot of those things that just kind of forced us to sort of focus on on the most important things right yeah because the emily clone she's going to die soon she knows this everything's they're all even the the people that are rich enough to survive who knows you know we don't know for sure what their status is going to be if they're going to be just a consciousness in a box or whatever but what's the one thing she wants in those last moments she wants to retrieve that memory of walking with her mom when she was little that's mm-hmm. the most important thing to her so yeah um, yeah don hertzfeld he says in this interview he says uh he, he says in, in this year of years what do you hope people will understand about death and its inevitability or is it all there on the screen and if so that's okay too <laughs> and he says understanding death and its inevitability is maybe the most valuable thing a person can do for themselves. So right. it's obviously very important to him. Because then that's when you learn what's important, right? Yeah. If you were in your last moments, your last days, and you had certain things available to you, like time travel, or as she says it, time travel, uh, what would you? What <laughs> yeah. would you choose? What would you want? Yeah, it's an interesting idea, the idea of kind of thinking about what memories we would want, we would go back to, what we, we would treasure the most. Uh, you know, you can think about uh, stories like Our Town, you know, which memory is she going to pick? And she picks this, this what's seemingly innocuous memory of a birthday party and realizes there was so much more. And, uh, and if you think about... Uh, the great film by uh, Hirokazu Koreeda called Afterlife. Uh, the, uh, the in that film, there's uh, the the afterlife, and each person has to pick a memory, and then they they get that memory made for them. And there are people that just struggle to 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 pick anything. Don't feel worthy to pick anything. Their life they don't think is worthy. And, uh, and so I don't know it's an interesting idea if you, or if, if you've ever seen defending your life mm-hmm. with Albert Brooks and you have to look back at his life and, and, uh, was there any value kind of in it? And uh, I think that's an interesting idea to kind of ponder like what you would want to pick. Well, and I love the, the whole subjectivity of memory that goes throughout all three 
Um, mm-hmm. Like in the first one where she's talking about this museum of memories she has, and she talks about how that's a lot of what people do with their time is watching <laughs> visions of other people's memories. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, I like when she talks about the memory of David's that she has saved where he's walking down some stairs and he sees a plant waving and she likes it, but she doesn't know why she doesn't have the context for it. She doesn't know what was happening then, or if that was even really his memory, maybe he was watching a movie of someone walking downstairs yeah. uh-huh. and seeing a plant wave. It's also subjective. So what does it even mean? What does it matter? As did that? Do the memories make us who we are? Yeah, I think it, that's to me the most fascinating part of all three of them. Yeah, you know another movie that also has these themes. There's a lot now they think about it, but uh, from this year was nine and uh, nine days. I don't know if you heard about that at Sundance, but that was another movie that I really really enjoyed and sort of the thought of of kind of going through your memories and what are you going, uh, what are you going to pick? And, uh, that was filmed in Utah, right? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's a very interesting film. Uh, but yeah, it says I, that they inherited the memory of you from birth. And he said, did you, did did you miss me? Yeah. and i i think that i think about that every time i i watch anything with the with the christmas carol oddly enough you know when he goes back into his memories Mm. and uh, it's that is such a crucial way of of humanizing scrooge is is you see that he's not a monster he he's just a he's just become his experiences have made him isolated and bitter And us experiencing those memories with him. It's not just about him seeing them and changing his mind or opening his mind. It's about us now having sympathy for him and understanding him better. Yeah. So they, they asked in this interview, what were the rocks and the gas pump that Emily fell in love with meant to represent? And it says she was learning how to love. And like all of us in her youth, she gravitated to a bunch of individuals that were wrong for her. <laughs> so <laughs> interesting. Yeah. You know, I was wondering about that as far as, you know, an interpretation of it. And here we hear it from, uh, <laughs> yeah. From the creator himself. Right. Of the film. Yeah. And, uh, so then we get to, to Waldemar too. And, uh, in this one, hold on just a second. So this one, World of Tomorrow Two, uh, it has it's World of in this one, World of Tomorrow Episode Two, the burden of other people's thoughts. This came out in 2017. Both uh, have been were nominated for Academy Awards. Uh, both of them lost. And but this one brings back his niece Winona May and has Julia Pot as Emily Clone, and in this one you have a backup copy of Emily Clone, uh, and uh, she uh, she's alone. She has no purpose or consciousness like Emily Clone had, 
And she has an experimental sister named Felicia. And, uh, and she has Felicia's bracelet. She says that the bracelet means everything. And she says she was next in line to be Emily. And she wants to replace her neurons with Emily Prime. And then she says, my subconscious is not a pleasant place. And so what did you have any thoughts about what did you think about this, Leslie, with this backup copy of Emily? Uh, the title of this one is so stunning to me, the burden of other people's thoughts, because that's that's what her whole problem is. She doesn't really have her own thoughts or memories. She thinks she uh, is a gifted pianist. <laughs> Turns out that wasn't true. She's like, oh, where did that memory come from? I don't know. Uh, She's burdened with memories and thoughts and ideas of, of past Emily's of a life that she didn't actually live. She wants to be a ballet dancer, but she's sort of destined to be Emily, to be this weird ghost of Emily, of many Emily's. And Mm I think she's so tragic and sad, but I'm so proud of her for wanting to be her own person. I'm rooting for her by the end. Yeah. She wanted to be a dancer in the Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of this one with the backup copy, Emily uh, Stanford? Well, uh, you know, I was quite taken with it too. And as, as I had mentioned, this is the first time I had seen both part two and part three, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, preparing for our podcast, the, uh, what really, of course the, the, the plot is, is very thought provoking, but I'm really just, I'm so, uh, and I remember this was the first one to really overcome with the visuals of it. And mm-hmm. and often I kept I kept almost being more, I mean, for lack of a better word, like overwhelmed by the visual, by just the just the striking visual style mm-hmm. of it. That I would, I I would not be following the plot because I would be so mesmerized by what was happening <laughs> on, on the screen. So I uh, I think clearly a, a rewatch is is in order for me, or another watch, just so I can make sure I'm a little more solid on some of the plot, the plot line, just because I'm just so fascinated by how he, uh, how he composes every, you know, every shot. Uh, I think he makes such interesting choices with, with, with color and Mm -hmm. background and with uh, all the different kind of computer interfaces and different screens that keep showing up. Uh, Yeah. And it's such an interesting way to tell the story. But but again, I just kept finding myself be, uh, that that almost like took over on some of it for me, and 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 I mean this in a happy way, just because I mean, just I'm just fascinated by it. I just think, how you know, how did he come up with that, you know, screen layout or shot or whatever you know you want to call it. However, he's he's uh composing. I think he's doing this all digitally, from what you know, from what I can muster from what I've read mm-hmm. where I think some of his earlier films uh, you know he, he wasn't necessarily using uh, uh, all computers but still 
uh, yeah, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Not the no, best they, answer to your question, Rach. But. <laughs> no, the, the backgrounds are are more vibrant, I think, in, in two and three oh, than in yes. one. Yeah, oh, definitely. And Particularly a, in three. I thought, wow, mm-hmm. the background yeah. really, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting he uses the stick figure characters. We didn't really talk about that in the first one. Uh, and he has in his feature film, Beautiful Day, uh, he also uses the stick figures, so that's kind of his style. But it helps you to kind of just think about the concepts and not get so lost in sort of the character. And, you know, you're not really concerned about what the accents are or what the or anything else. It's just like just the the character and just listening to Emily to her his niece's voice and i don't know i think it would be easy to get kind of just get kind of lost in sometimes sometimes i have that problem with sci-fi is that i'll get kind of lost in all of the world building and everything mm-hmm. and not focus as much on the characters and what they're saying and i think that having that all be just be really simple but beautiful helps with his ideas and I liked it. I saw an article on the in the Atlantic about this, and he says that uh, he says you'd be forgiven for thinking this all sounds a little heady, but the delight of World of Tomorrow series is the clarity of Hertzfeld's ideas and how powerfully they ring through the strange, naughty stories of the future he's depicting through a mix of stick figure animation and surreal digital effects. And it says Hertzfeld tackles how humankind will eventually contend with immortality, time travel, cloning, deep space colonization, and the end of the world. Hint, we don't handle any of it very well. <laughs> <laughs> There's a surprise. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think that um, getting lost in the imagery is completely legitimate because mm-hmm. it's obviously intended to sort of overwhelm you. Um and it is a little heady if you're trying to follow all the chains. Okay, now wait, which which clone is this, and which <laughs> timeline is this? You know, if you to me, that's the part you don't want to get lost in too much is the yeah. the laying it all out on a timeline in a clear way. It's just about a future Emily visiting the past Emily, and they float around in their imaginations and their brains and their consciousness and their memories and i think it's these are sort of poems that you're allowed to get lost in for what they are you know yeah in this one there's actually two emily primes and they end up both kind of exploring and uh, they say i liked the line beneath the surface is countless glimmers of hope uh that and they says there's a, the to, to be wary of the bog of realism which I thought was interesting. When little Emily Prime picks up one of the shiny things and the clone's like, mm-hmm. put that back. <laughs> right. That's my precious glimmer of hope. I don't want you yes. messing with this. <gasps> yeah. And she says, my subconscious is not a pleasant place. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah she's, like- a tortured, she's a tortured yeah. character. She is, yes. Absolutely. Especially the clone, the and each one seems to be worse off than the next. Mm-hmm. Each clone, because um, at least the original clone have had had love with David, and had some joy. It seems right. like they just get worse and worse. 
Yeah, what and, do you think he's trying to tell us with the, yeah, that I was wondering about that with the progressive clones, how they seemed, yeah, just more tortured or less, less, you know, or just more unhappy. Because they have the burden of other people's thoughts. They're, yeah. they're destined to just have all these shadows of memories of shadows of memories. And, mm-hmm. and some of them aren't even created with the intent that they'll live their own lives. They're just meant to be a backup. We'll wash our dishes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he means by the bog of realism. Mm-hmm. That you know, if other people's thoughts, other people's reality, other people's problems, and I think that uh, a lot of us fall into that trap where we worry for where we're worry uh, da- adopters. <laughs> we adopt other people's problems. Yeah, it's easy to do. Yeah. Well, and think of how much we can be burdened by other people's thoughts and we're not even clones, (laughs) you know, what do my parents want from me? What's the right uh, thing for me to pass on? What I was thinking about that a lot at Christmas with traditions, you know, how many traditions are good to continue on and how many are just an idea my grandma had that maybe I don't need to continue anymore, you know? The burden of other people's thoughts of, you know, your bosses thinking you should do something this way when you think you should do it this other way. Or, you know, that to me, that's it. This was the most sort of relatable human one because of that. Like she wants to be a dancer, (laughs) but she doesn't. That's not what her destiny was. But in the end, she dances like you know, maybe we all need to think about that. Like, well, we feel like we're destined to be this, but is that somebody else's thought about what my life should be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think about F- Sister Felicia? <laughs> I don't know why that's that name. Not Nothing wrong with Felicia as a name, but I don't know. I, it, for some reason, made me laugh. She's orbiting the earth for our, for our, for archival purposes. Yeah. <laughs> What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> well, it's so much of this is is so uh, a metaphor, or depending on when he made some of it, um, a prediction for for yeah. today. Yeah, the idea that people put their lives into images on Instagram or whatever for archival purposes—they don't have a photo album anymore yeah, that they're going to show their grandkids. <laughs> They'll pull up their Instagram. Yeah. Here's the story of my life. And I don't know. I, I wasn't yeah. quite sure how Felicia worked in, but I really liked it because it was one of those, to me, sort of horrifying <laughs> moments. Yeah. Like, oh, and there's another one that's just destined to just be nothing locked uh-huh. in a something forever (laughs) yeah that's a really good point because you think about coming up in the third one where he has a chance to sort of purchase all these different uh different memories and different experiences and different things like that and i i i was thinking about it that that about about around this time 2017 i i finally i had to kind of shut off a lot of i had been before that i'd been really invested in like news and invested in what's going on and it was all just so overwhelming that 
I, I, I kind of just had to cut that off out of my life. And like, I still would get, I would still find out about what's going on because it's impossible not to, and still be involved in any way that I could. But I was just, I was taking in so many people, so many problems that Mm -hmm. I had no way of solving and no way of making better. Uh, (laughs) And so it was, it was, it was just too much for me. And I, so I think that that's also kind of what he might be talking about a little bit that of what we're doing, of what we need to do sometimes is we need to, uh, is we need to, uh, I don't know, in a way, isolate ourselves a little bit that way. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And not define ourselves by what other people are wanting us to feel is important. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he says, she says that uh, I have memories of dying two times. Dying is one of my least favorite things to do. And then it also says youth is not an accomplishment. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know. That's that great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, he says that it, that it, it's a lot logical like a baby dinosaur is a shock to the clone system and then she vanishes so it's just that she's a logical like a baby dinosaur and that makes the the clone uh vanish and then you see these uh triangle men with star hats and then then she's in square land (laughs) that was one of the things i loved about this one is how emily prime is still young she's still innocent and happy uh, but she's a little bit taking charge <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. he's like no there's triangle land and over here is square land and here's what happens in those places and if you want to dance then you should dance <laughs> and so she's sort of she's she's guiding her future she's being the grandmother <laughs> to yeah. her clone to her clone yeah and says we cannot live in the past we have to let it go and this made me think of one uh, one movie that i love more than most it seems like is the movie saving mr banks Mm -hmm. and i love the scene when disney is talking to uh peel travers and he talks about his his dad and uh, how he used to have to go out in the snow every day delivering papers and he says uh, he says, Mrs. Travers, I'm tired. I'm tired of remembering it that way. And I think that and when I first heard that, that really impacted me because I think that uh, that forgiveness, sometimes it can be so hard to, because to, you feel like, or at least people tell you, well, forgive and forget. And that's impossible. Like, we can't do that. Like, we're, we can't forget. It's like when people say, don't, don't think about a purple elephant you immediately think about a purple elephant. And don't think about Sweet. a baby dinosaur later. And, and I don't know, just the idea of we need to be able to remember it without the pain. Right. Right. We get tired of remembering it that way. And I think that that's kind of what he's trying to say. And he says, should I, should I be yelling? Should I be yelling <laughs> right. now? <laughs> and, uh, we have to let it go let go of the pain because it just doesn't help you in your life. And uh, so I, I think that's one of the main messages that he 
he's trying to say in this one. I like uh, that. It's interesting. All right. Well, let's talk about the third one. This is World of Tomorrow 3, The Absent Destinations of David Prime. And so this one, we have uh, Emily Prime is gone. And I, I, I think he had just basically finished all of his recordings. Uh, it says here, uh, do, 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 let's see. Got it. They, they were asked him a question on this uh, interview about it. Um, sorry, just one sec. Let me find it. Um, says was the absence of emily prime in part three a practical decision uh, or an intentional departure from the first two films and he says it was both i couldn't find a way to fit her in naturally and i also felt like the series needed to start growing in in other directions and not rest on the past episode two had also been really difficult to write it was so reliant on Winona's recordings and it felt like the dam was really broken when I finally was finally able to write without any restrictions this time. Mm-hmm. So uh, what did you think Stanford of this one? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because honestly, I was w- wondering about uh, that if he, if he was out of recording, you know, if, if Don was out of recordings <laughs> from, from his, mm-hmm. his, from his adorable niece, you know, or at least he was, who seems very adorable from, you know, the, the recording that was used. Uh, or if it was an intentional, if it was an intentional decision. So I'm glad to hear. Thank you for that background, Rachel, because that's, that's, that's uh, very helpful because that was just something that, that I really wondered initially, you know, about, uh, about it. Cause that, that's tone. And then, of course, I felt like, again, I'm a bit of a broken record here, so sorry about that, but I was really swept away with the visuals on this because I really feel like he, he uh, I thought there was a, quite a marked difference between between the second one and then this third one, just with with um, uh, just the visual style. I mean, it's, clearly it's, 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 it's theme and variation uh, of the other two, but it's almost like it was just like on steroids, you know, just the different type of backgrounds he was using and, and the color palette, uh, et cetera. And I was just really, <laughs> again, maybe I'm just easily distracted by the, by the shiny things, but I was like, Oh, this is so cool. I mean, this looks so amazing. And then, and then, uh, just the direction that, 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 that the plot goes with that, you know, in this one, um, well, and it's, it's really be- something. Yeah, it should be commended too that this is all him. He right. he did every aspect basically of these shorts, which I think is amazing. I do too. It's the writer, producer, animator, editor, everything. Uh, so that's really incredible. And in this one, he they're they're in this like virtual shopping kind of world. It's like a Ready Player One kind of. Mm-hmm world and uh, he gets the option of uh it's outer rim shopping and this is have a purpose with deluxe subconscious and <laughs> that's not what he wants to buy and again should you grow gills and he says why not 
He adds it to the cart. I know. It's so funny. (laughs) And it's funny in the, in the interview, someone asks if you were put into the world you've created, would you buy gills? And he says, I tend to avoid putting my head under water because I almost always get water in my ears. So I guess I wouldn't need them. Gills also seem like they'd be a real nuisance to keep clean. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, David was haunted by memories of, nearly drowning so gills would seem pretty practical like they'd be practical yes uh so then emily clone visits baby david and uh she uh, she was married to david and uh he says will you be the one to discover my dead body and and then she says i sometimes look forward to drowning together (laughs) what do you think of that leslie like, uh, because she has sort of inherited this memory from him. And again, she doesn't really have it in the right context. But when she goes to sleep, that memory might pop up and it's not hers, but she's with David because they're drowning together. So again, it's one of those funny, but also <laughs> horrifying and sad horrifying. Yeah. moments. Yeah. I really, this one to me was the funniest of the three. Yeah, definitely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. When it brings that kind of spam into the, (laughs) into the world, I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) The difference uh, in the box. And when he said, she warns him to be careful going through the cave with the, oh no, I forgot what they're called. The worms that are dripping and yes don't let it's super dangerous don't let any of this touch you and he goes through and just gets drenched <laughs> to me that's the f- most laugh out loud part of any of the three <laughs> yes yeah. uh, i liked when he said i feel like i should like avocados more <laughs> that made me laugh <laughs> <laughs> And I, I can certainly relate to this in the world of social distancing. It says, if you ever want to hug me, please just touch my arm instead. <laughs> yes. I was thinking that too. It was like, that is so timely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then David dies and uh, David goes on a journey. He says, David's dying all over. And, and you see all of these Davids that end up shooting each other. Yeah. They like kill each other. Yeah so the uh um he says you may notice a simplification of your mind and then he gets struck by lightning and uh, and then he also says here's a list of all the things that make me happy because <laughs> she assumes that while he's walking through this landscape he needs to be entertained so it's obviously right. all about her she's kind of cocky mm-hmm. she is isn't she yeah that's a really good point but, you know, the, what's so striking to me about this third one is that it is the most straightforwardly funny, but it's also a love story in the way that the others start off. They sort right. of start they the love story. It. Yeah. We know it's a love story and we feel it. But then this one, it's like, because some memory of someone he sort of thinks he remembers showed up, he's willing to literally give up everything, <laughs> all his brain function and all his yeah. thoughts and abilities 
to go find her and then becomes obsessed with her. And, mm-hmm. and then of course it has this lovely romantic ending, which is what you get from watching all three together. Like when I rewatched these all three the other night with my husband, we watched the first one and I said, this movie is such a perfect movie. I kind of don't want to watch the next two right now. Mm-hmm. And, but we did. And then I was like, no, okay. <laughs> I get it. Like the first one by itself, fabulous. The second one, each of the three by themselves are worthy and amazing. And I would recommend them to anyone. But when you do watch all three together, then it becomes a full love story. Yeah. Cause that's how it ends with them back together. Yeah, and they explain a little bit more in this third one, which which I think is why it's longer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 34 minutes. And they explain the clones. They explain the cleaners. They explain, you know, a lot of the things going on. So for my uh, person that's not a super, like, surrealist kind of person, I was able to kind of make it all make sense a little bit more to me after watching this one. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I get it. <laughs> we learn where the, where the David in the, in the tube and the tank in the museum mm-hmm. came from. Yes. And we learn yeah. where the guy in from um, episode two, where she's watching the people in line to time travel. And one of them, uh, winds up nowhere and she always remembers him. And then we find out in this one that it was David. It was a clone of David. Yeah. The clone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it all comes together in very nice ways that you don't need to appreciate any of them, Yeah, but it's beautiful how it all it's works together. Very beautifully. Yeah. It? And it's so satisfying, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he says that he's haunted by her family clone. And, it kind of also, I, I don't know, I keep thinking of all these other things that it makes me think of, but uh, if you've ever seen Ghost Story, David Lowry, uh, where he's literally haunted by, uh, she is haunted by uh, her love, by the Casey Affleck ghost. Mm-hmm. And uh, until, until the until the cosmic is everything has seen it's everything is okay and everything's protected then uh then it's it, he's gonna stay stay haunted kind of made me think of that and it says death is not a destination it is the absence of one which i thought was interesting yeah uh what do you think of when they grow flowers out of the face it's <laughs> 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 like what is happening can't you just see that as something the Kardashians would start, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It feels a little too plausible. Exactly. It's this very twisted way, right? It, it, yeah. Yeah, and he says, you are part of the whole, like the scattered seeds of a flower. And, uh, and that's when you get all the clones shooting each other. And... I like a review I read where they said uh, it culminates in a shootout that puts Tenet to shame. <laughs> it's like, yes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. And then he bad. says, it says at the end, there's hope for Emily and David. 
in the end uh, with everything. These two clones that were never meant to live lives of their own, you know, they changed it. They changed the, the, the direction and are going to have a life together. I think it's lovely. I thought it was lovely too. And, 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 uh, I was so happy that it had this, I mean, I guess I was surprised it had a happy ending. You know, I was kind of yeah. expecting it to not, <laughs> or just to be, you know, but I, I thought that was such a hopeful, interesting, uh, you know, uh, approach. For mm-hmm. as for as sad and scary as these all can be, yes. they all have happy endings. Exactly. Really. Like the moment in the first one where it looks like Emily Prime has been zapped back to, you know, prehistoric times and she's just there in the snow, that, that something's gone wrong. <laughs> she hasn't been returned to the proper place and time. We stay there for a long time and it feels like a tragic, horrible ending. Oh no, she's by herself in this. And then, and he holds it for a long time. And then, nope, she's back at home and starts to sing what a happy day it is and everything's fine. Everything's <laughs> and you have okay. to remind yourself like, Oh, okay. She's actually fine. This is a happy ending. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of how all of them felt to me. I like it in this interview. He says, how they ask, how did your friends and family respond? He says, they were pretty, they're pretty used to me. by that. <laughs> 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 And he also, they ask us, are there any pieces of fiction that have influenced your work that we probably wouldn't think of? And he says, uh, one thing that pops to my mind is the Phantom Tool Booth. Mm. My favorite children's books were the ones with all the fun metaphors and clever wordplay. When I was plotting out episode two, I wanted to lean into that, where visiting different sections of Emily's brain would be like Milo visiting the land of math and the land of letters, the land of sound with different looks and logic to it. So we had the bog of realism, the glimmers of hope, the broken memories, the logic center, and all the stuff in Triangle and Square Land. I guess that's a lot, but I wish there had been a lot more. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. <laughs> the the you could see that with also with the Phantom Toll Booth and the um the emphasis on on uh, on time mm-hmm. Phantom Toll Booth. And uh so I thought that was interesting like that he that. said that. And Uh, Yeah, I think that I actually think I enjoyed this even more actually taking notes and not just watching it because I was able to kind of, I guess it's just the way my brain works because I was able to write down and be like, oh, that's what he's saying and and kind of connect it all a little bit better. Uh, And so if you if you're if you have a brain like me, uh, I recommend doing that. (laughs) It's actually like watching this. And taking some notes and really thinking about uh, kind of what he's trying to say. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's it's a very interesting project. And uh, I think as a part of a three, I think that it's very, very satisfying. And he should be very proud. Agreed. Hopefully the third one will also get nominated. It's uh, for, I feel like it should, and I feel like it should win. Uh, I haven't watched all the shorts for this year, but I mean, it just seems like there should be some kind of reckon, reckon, reckon is, uh some kind of honor paid to the trilogy as a whole. 
Right. But, you know, the Oscars, what are you going to do? But <laughs> and and it's just impressive that he does it all by himself and that there's still this kind of animation and creativity is still possible in this day and age and uh, that uh, he you know he's never it was saying in this biography i was reading that he's never had a, a job he's always worked for himself yeah his own animation which That's i think is awesome interesting thing to learn about him too that he's he, he i mean he's the definition of an independent filmmaker and right. and that's what it, how he wants to stay and and uh i really uh, applaud him for what he's what he's mm-hmm. been able to do yeah one critics described as says hertzfeld has crafted what might be the crowning achievement of modern science fiction mm. can't so. argue with it exactly so there we go that is the world of tomorrow and you'll have to let us know if you're listening what you think he's trying to say or what you got out of all three of these shorts i definitely recommend them they're pretty cheap uh, to purchase or or rent if you go to his vimeo we can put that in the description uh definitely worth supporting independent animation and uh, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. Know, thank a lot you, of fun. Leslie. This is so wonderful. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah, I loved it. And so if people want to follow you on Twitter or all that fun stuff, how can they do that? Uh, it's Leslie Means, at Leslie Means on, on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. So. Great. And Stanford, what about you? On Twitter, I'm at Stanford Clark, and I have a movie podcast and blog at moviespastandpresent.com. Great. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all over social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And also, you can follow me at the Hallmarkist Podcast. Lots of fun stuff going on over there. And uh, so, yeah, let us know your thoughts. And uh, we also have our patron group. We have the merch store, which you can get hashtag animation junkie shirts so that's a lot of fun and uh, so thanks again leslie really appreciate it and we'll talk to you all next month bye everyone bye bye thank you 